This podcast is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. Attend the next National Disciple-Making Forum by registering at Discipleship.org. Producing this episode, I'm Chad Harrington. In this episode, Ralph Moore and Bobby Harrington discuss the essential role of discipleship within the Hope Chapel movement. Back in 1971, Moore helped start the Hope Chapel movement, which has resulted in over 2,300 new churches to date. So he shares with Bobby Harrington, the founder of Discipleship.org, the story of how Hope Chapel began and how discipleship is right at the very heart of the movement. A little bit of background, Moore had grown up in the faith reading discipleship materials from the Navigators. Then he and a friend started prayer walking every Monday morning to seek the Lord. Here's more. Hi, I'm Bobby Harrington, the founder of Discipleship.org, and it's my privilege to be here today with Ralph Moore, the founder of the Hope Chapel Movement. And we're here at the Exponential Conference, and Ralph's been with us also talking about disciple-making. And I'm very pleased, Ralph, that we can talk. Part of it is the conversations that we've had with each other, where you've been sharing with me the background on disciple-making with the Hope Chapel Movement. To begin with, um, let me just say this to everyone watching, because it's kind of hard to ask you to say these things um, because of your nature. But you started a movement that has resulted in 2,300 churches. Yeah, yeah. I found that out because people from Exponential started asking me (laughs) questions. I was going around the world telling everybody, we think there's about 1,400. And I started losing sleep thinking, maybe there's less and I'm exaggerating and so we did a survey and we found 2300 and then the Johnny come lately's all wrote me nasty emails after we published the survey you didn't count my churches so <laughs> we think there's another 30 or 40 out there but the last count was 2317 starting from 12 people in 1971 wow so can you tell us in brief the story of the Hope Chapel movement specifically why you think, as we were talking earlier, that disciple-making is really at the heart of it. At the, at the very beginning, uh, we were into a lot of uh, Bible studies, Jesus movement. Everybody yeah. was running a Bible study. And then I was, uh, had grown up with Navigator materials, and I hooked up with another guy that was into Navigator Bible studies. And he and I started um, just walking a golf course in Palos Verdes, California, where Dawson Trotman started navigators no way praying on the hillside and uh, so we're very mindful of all that and talking about it a lot and and just sec for for some of the folks who may not know uh dawson trotman dawson trotman the founder of the navigators uh the quintessential disciple making man yeah they wrote the follow-up materials for billy graham yeah and so we were going for walks every monday morning we'd go at 6 30 in the morning and walk and just talk Pretty soon, we had a group of people, this is the old days, when you go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we had a group of people with young children that lived about eight miles from the church. And they asked, could we send somebody to do a Sunday night service in one of their homes because it was hard for them with their kids. So we sent Richard, it was his fifth Bible study, five a week now, Mm. plus his business. Mm. And um, one thing led to another, about two months in, they asked if they could become their own church he hadn't gone to Bible school. Our denomination that I used to be part of had a rule that uh, one church in one town. They don't have that rule anymore, but they did then. And then worse, he wanted to call it Branch of Hope. And I thought that looked like we were trying to make a denomination. So I said no. And then the navigators came into the picture and recruited him to be a, a missionary. 
and I'd always been taught it's more difficult to cross cultures, and so we decided let's just do it and tell the denomination later. And we found out that it truly is easier to get forgiveness than it is permission. And it's often that way in churches. Yeah. And so the way that I define discipleship is an intentional relationship with Jesus in the middle. Mm. We, we structure it in the things that we do in our churches. But a lot of what we do in making disciples is just hanging out, much like we envision Jesus and the Twelve did. That's right. Or Jesus, Peter, James, and John. So highly relational. Highly relational. And so the whole deal is rooted in a relationship between Ralph Moore and Richard Agazino, the whole thing. Really? And out of that, Rich and I aren't in contact right now. We're, we're Facebook buddies, but we're not, we haven't been, I don't know why, we just haven't talked for years. He's He's not pastoring any longer. The church he started, he's still going. The churches they started are still going. I saw a thing on Facebook, uh, a video of him speaking at one of those churches, but he's a businessman now. And so uh, I have yet to tell him that there's 2,300 churches out there, but it really comes down to two guys that were too poor to play golf, walking a golf course, <laughs> hanging out every Monday morning. Wow. Okay, so uh, earlier we were talking and uh, I said, this is a phenomenal story, this movement. And I asked you, what percentage of it would be disciple-making? And my answer was 90%. And since that time, just a few minutes ago, I've had some time to think about this. And You did a lot more research? <laughs> no, what I did was I, I remembered that the denomination that I was involved with, I used to beat these guys up. At, at the, you know, they, I was the token church planter guy. Everybody was into do mega church and whatever. But they'd always bring me to their conventions and whatever, and and so I I just harangue these guys about you got money, you got people, you got resources, you need to give it away and start churches, and for a brief moment in time, maybe a couple of years, I succeeded, and they all started churches, hmm. big churches had a lot of resources, they dumped a lot into these churches, and they all failed, and then I began to realize that we needed to back up. And, and teach people how to make disciples. And I had gotten everybody revved up about running out and planting a church, and that's the wrong thing to do. You've got to be discipled. You've got to know who you are. Um, if I could push this a step further, one of our guys got saved in our church. He was a thug. Uh, then he became a prison guard. Then he became a tour bus driver in Hawaii. And then he accepted the Lord as a prison guard and was discipled in our church. Eventually, I hired, I, I wanted to hire him as a, as a singles pastor or a men's pastor or something, and my staff bolted. They said you know, he was kind of a quiet guy. Mm -hmm. When you're a thug, you don't have to talk too much. And, but people wanted to follow this man. And so my secretary resigned, moved to another island, so I hired him as my secretary, and then found out he couldn't type. So I had, <laughs> for about four years, the ugliest and the biggest secretary in the state of Hawaii. But uh, he went out and, and started a church. It grew to over 800 almost immediately. Wow. And then he discovered that maybe Ralph doesn't know everything. Everything he had learned, he'd learned in our church, through our system. I was his pastor. He started going to seminars all over the country. And in his words, he lost his DNA. Huh. And he, he publicly repented and then came to me and repented after he had shrunk to 350. The church then grew to over a thousand once he made the turnaround mm -hmm. and came back to his roots. The, the thing that we think is important is that you, you kind of have a, a theology for why you do everything. 
that's really inculcated in you. And then once you're on your own, the Lord's going to change things. You're going to shift. You're going to make changes uh, having to do with your community, having to do with your own personal growth in the Lord. Uh, but if you if you make those changes simply because you went to a bunch of seminars, now you don't know who you are anymore. It's not deep so it really needs to be rooted in the heart of the man yeah. or the woman through through disciple making. So talk to us about that disciple making DNA that's at the heart of the Hope Chapel movement. Well, my favorite Bible character uh, is Barnabas, and I don't think we'd have a Paul if we didn't have Barnabas. Uh, he introduced. Saul of Tarsus to the disciples mm -hmm. uh, when he found that the church in Antioch was a pretty good thing a church among Gentiles he went out and found Saul and brought him back and they hung out together and I and as you read the Bible it talks about Barnabas and Saul and then it talks about Paul so Barnabas and Paul and then it talks about Paul and Barnabas so mm. you realize that that Paul was ascendant but he was brought to where he was by Barnabas and then of course they parted company, and Barnabas takes a hike with John Mark, and we get the Gospels. The first Gospel is written by Mark. Yeah. So I think that even the New Testament is, is rooted, and it ought to be, because it's what Jesus said to do. To me, there's three great commandments. Love your, the Lord with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself, and go and make disciples of all the nations. And we just don't take the third one very seriously. Uh, we, we formalize it. We think we're doing it when we're preaching. Uh, in our church, it's kind of the basis. It, it lays a groundwork. Uh, I just teach verse by verse through the Bible so people are equipped in the scriptures. So when they come together in discipleship groups, uh, they've got something to talk about. That's good. So uh, if you will explain to us the basic, it's so simple, Ralph. It's like you said, literally in the one of the sessions here, you wanted to explain the whole basis. And I'm used to being in sessions where a guy will explain part of it. It takes him 60 minutes to explain one part. You explained the whole system in 30 minutes yeah. and then said, okay, let's have questions. Yeah. So uh, can you just in five minutes explain the, the whole basis of your disciple-making system, which you've already told us is highly relational, centered around Jesus, and also in the power of the Holy Spirit. But take five minutes okay. and explain that to us. It starts to me from the pulpit. I, I, I don't like to use the word sermon or preach. I, I teach the Bible. I go chapter by chapter, and I'm not trying to do an egghead thing. I, I, I want them to, to, to have the Bible as a useful tool in their hands. So, and their understanding would be that Ephesians 4, they're being equipped so they can do ministry. And then... So the, your role as the lead pastor is the equipper? You're the, you're the teacher one equipper. Of, one of the equippers. The, okay, my, I'm sorry. My, my role okay. is a teacher equipper. I'm, I'm probably more of a teacher and encourager than anything else. And so there's this foundation. And then uh, whenever they meet, we say Wednesday night, but they, some of, they meet all different. One group meets from 10 to midnight on Fridays because of their job. And they, in our situation, it's urban, so they meet in lots of Starbucks and um, cafes in grocery stores now it's just we're all over the place because of parking issues so when they meet we, we kind of go through a thing where they eat together and, and just hang out and talk and usually what they're talking about is hey I prayed for you last week man what happened mm. and and then so that's relational then we, we we get a little more formal and we'll go around the ring and we do everything just kind of around the ring yeah so you know that you're expected to respond and yet it's relational and so we'll first ask just Give me two words about last week's sermon, just to take it out of the 
off the hard drive and put it in RAM so that they're they're thinking about it. Because most people can't remember the two words about the sermon by Wednesday night. I can't, and I preached it. And so then after that, we ask, um, what did the Holy Spirit say to you while the pastor was talking? Because what the Holy Spirit had to say might be very different than what the pastor said, or it might work off of it. Mm -hmm. And um, then the next question is just naturally, what are you going to do? And, and then how can we help you? How can we pray with you? So it's what are you going to do in response to, the Holy to Spirit. what the Holy Spirit was yes. telling you? Yes. And then the, then comes the, the, the prayer involvement. Sometimes uh, that second question of, of what are you going to do begins to bring up issues in people's lives, sometimes even in a marriage. The husband will say he's going to do this, and the wife will pop off and say something. And, and now everything stops, and you have a ministry situation where you need to maybe spend the rest of the evening just sharing with these people. So we don't do a lot of counseling in our church. If people call up and say we want a counselor, we go, well, uh, go to your mini church. Well, I don't go to mini church. Well, we'll recommend one. Well, I don't want to go to one. Well, we can recommend a secular counselor that will cost you 150 bucks an hour, and, and we leave it there. Hmm. Uh, because we're so serious about bringing people into the discipleship process, and we believe that the Lord answers prayer, and we'll do the miraculous in that kind of situation. Okay, so when you say mini church, so what it is is there's a typically a Sunday gathering which is based on going through the Bible, mm -hmm. chapter by chapter, mm -hmm. take a chapter every Sunday, yeah. if, if I yeah. get that right. Uh, and it's fun. It's not, it's not egghead stuff. It's not miniature seminary. It's, it, we, we try to keep Just it real right. practical. Yeah. And then uh, you ask everybody to be a part of a mini church, yeah. which is, a, some would call that a small group or a home group. Yeah, yeah. the name mini church, I, I revert to it because it's what we call it. Sure. I, I try to discipline myself on the road to say min, small group. See, I said it again. <laughs> I said mini church when I went to say small group, but yeah, just small groups. So you're in the Word on Sundays, and then in mini church, uh, the fundamental question after kind of establishing a relational environment is, uh, what did the Holy Spirit show you in the sermon? Yeah. And uh, what does God want you to do about that? Yeah. And then how can we pray for each other? Yeah. Very, very simple. And then the, the thing that links this to church planting is if you started, and by start we mean hived off, you took a few people from your mini church, you raised up leaders, yeah. and then you, you started a new one. Yeah. And if you did that again, and you did it, and you did that three times, now we start to look at you not necessarily in an automatic fashion, not like you are going to be a pastor, but we start to think you're pastoring people. You either could come on our staff or potentially you could go out and plant a church. The other thing that's a, a very important part of this is yeah, that... Just one second, Ralph. So what you're saying is that you're looking for people who've demonstrated the ability to make disciples in the small group, and it's disciples who make disciples yes so they've started other groups yes. out of that and if yes. they've done at least three uh mini churches out of that then they've demonstrated not just that they can make disciples but it's disciples who make disciples yes okay and so our that's kind of our minimum if, if you can't do that then you probably aren't a pastor and we've had guys that come to us from seminary that uh, they have a lot of education, they can write tests, but they can't pastor people. Yeah. And so we've had to struggle with that. But the, the other thing that we do that we think is endemic to the process is that um, in, I'm right now in a small church, so I, I'm running three of these groups. 
by the way, this is a church that you planted uh, three, years. three years ago. I, I, I'm 70 years old. Three years ago, I planted a church. I handed off a church of about 2,200 in attendance to the next generation and went out and started a church. Good for you. So it's fun. I'm, I'm having more fun than I think I've had in a long, long time. But because we're small, I can do this. In the big church, there were six or seven people running these meetings, staff members. Yeah. But I meet with many church pastors in, in small groups, and we choose a book that I choose. That's the great power I have in the church, is I get to choose the book that we're reading because it, it influences the culture. Yeah. And so as we read the book, it's a chapter a week in each group, and then it's the same two questions. Uh, what did the Holy Spirit say to you as you were reading that chapter, and how can you know, what are you going to do with it, and then how can we pray wow. with you? So I'm, I'm hearing three elements, and help me with this. The first is relationship is really big. In fact, sometimes in disciple-making circles, I've heard people say uh, to make disciples, it takes the Word of God, the people of God, and the Spirit of God. Mm -hmm. And it sounds to me, like don't let me put words in your mouth, but that's really the dynamic. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, and and you, a lot of it is centered around uh, in, in the mini church itself, what's the Holy Spirit showing you? What are you doing about it? And in your leadership circles, you're giving them leadership material, but using those same two same, questions. Same questions. And that is our nearest equivalent to seminary. Wow. Uh, the, the, the other thing that we do is if a person is on their way out the door, they're actually planning to start a church, I'll meet with them for lunch once a week for six months. And then after that, for about three, four months, sometimes six, I meet with them on a monthly basis or, or more as needed. Uh, usually once they get out the door, they kind of, they're, they're charting their own course and they don't need to hear from you. They don't want to hear from you every mm -hmm. week. Mm -hmm. But on the way out, we're, we're kind of building a business plan and, and laying the groundwork for what they're going to do. So let me ask you this question. Um, the role that you place for the Holy Spirit is really central. Very central. You told me something uh, yesterday. You said, you know, I didn't start this movement. It, this movement happened to me. It was really the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Tell us more about that. Well, I started pastoring the Jesus movement. I, I can remember attending, uh, I, I went to a Bible college, and then I went to Azusa Pacific University yeah. for one semester. And then I... Uh, to, to, I was driving 50 miles each way to school, and I was working as a youth pastor. And my pastor wanted me to get to, to get another education. So I was attending a junior college. And I was walking across the parking lot, and I saw a bumper sticker. There used to be all these bumper stickers, another mother against the Vietnam War, another student against the Vietnam War. There's a bumper sticker, and I saw three of them in one day. It said, another student for God. And my sister had already been going to Lovins in Griffith Park, uh, witnessing to people and she'd watched a cop strangle a guy because he's trying to swallow a, a balloon filled with heroin oh. and uh, I thought that was the worst thing. I was Mr. Straight-Laced Conservative and so suddenly I'm kind of dragged into this Jesus movement thing and the Hollywood free paper and all that and then I become the pastor and I'm in my little suit and tie and white wall haircut and I got all these long hairs a topless dancer named Kitten is a member of my church <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and we begin to see the miraculous in terms of people getting off drugs. And so I came from a Pentecostal background, and this was the time when evangelicals didn't have much to do with Pentecostals. But I watched the lines get blurred, 
as the Holy Spirit began to work in the lives of drug-addicted young evangelicals as they returned to Jesus. And so everything that we did had, uh, it, it wasn't Pentecostal. I, you know, I'm not any longer a part of the Pentecostal denomination that I grew up in, but I never really was probably a Pentecostal uh, in, in the sense that it wasn't that big of a deal, but the relationship with the Holy Spirit was the big deal. And so it, it just isn't everything that we do. So it's that, uh, that sense of, again, it really comes back to those three things, the Word of yeah. God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God. Yeah. Now, two other things uh, before we close. One is uh, you were really influenced in the early days by the Calvary Chapel movement. Yes and this emphasis, let's just get into the Word. Mm -hmm. Let's do a chapter a week. So this is very much a scripture-based uh, disciple-making system that you've got. Tell us about that. Well, what, what I learned from Chuck Smith two weeks before I started to pastor in this little tiny building was that Jesus told Peter two important things. I will build my church, so it's not the pastor's job. And if you love me, you feed my sheep. Mm. And so I just decided, I was scared, you know, I'm gonna go out there and pastor nothing. So if it, it, it took the monkey off my back. All I gotta do is feed the flock and the Lord cause it to grow. And so I, I never ever listened except one time to a tape by Chuck Smith because I didn't want to imitate him. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to copy him. I wanted to, I mean, he would teach 10 chapters every Sunday night for two hours. I tried it. Uh, I went five chapters in an hour one time and it about killed me and them. So I turned into an hour or a chapter a week guy and I do it very differently. But I, I really am of the fundamental belief that if we don't have the word underneath everything that we do, uh, we're gonna get ourselves in trouble. Yeah, that's good. Now, uh, your system, your, your, um, the way you teach people to make disciples is really simple and reproducible. Yeah. Talk to us about why it needs to be simple and reproducible as you've described it in the context of relationships. I do want to emphasize that again because I think it, it might be easy to miss um, your emphasis on supportive relationships. But tell us more about the simplicity. The simplicity is, is this. If, if we really want to saturate a community with the gospel, we need to get to all the corners. One, one of the problems right now is the American church model is I want to go to a big city, a uh, nice city, and I want to do a nice, probably white middle-class church, maybe a black middle-class church. But nobody really wants to go to Compton, California. Nobody really wants to go. I, I talked to a guy an hour ago who would like to work with gamers. He, he said he grew up in that culture. He feels called into ministry, and he wants to start a church for gamers. Well, it's got to be simple enough to, to, to cross the lines from where I'm at to where he's at. It's got to be workable in, in whatever situation he finds himself. Yeah. Uh, I know that there are people in California that are doing skater churches. We actually had one in Hawaii that, that they met at a skateboard park. And they, they started out by bringing water to everybody. And next thing you knew, they were doing church on Sundays in the skate park. And the city gave it its blessing. So the, the simplicity that would allow for that to happen... Uh, also works very well in other cultures. I spend a lot of my time literally around the world, every continent, and I don't go to Hope Chapels anymore. I, I go to fledgling movements of just getting started and can't afford for me to come, so I raise the money. 
and I find that, that what we're doing will cross cultural barriers real easily because we didn't attach anything that's very American to it. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you, Ralph. Just uh, last thing for everybody. You've written some material mm -hmm. that kind of gives us a little mm -hmm. bit of background, mm -hmm. uh, including the book Making Disciples, yeah. which I, I just love that book. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I went through your many church material years ago. But if you were to say a couple of resources um, that, that you've published that, that might be helpful on these things, what would they be? I, I, I'm going to name four and in a website. Okay. Okay. The first one is Making Disciples. The second one is called How to Multiply Your Church. I think that's the best book I ever wrote. Yeah. It's the poorest selling. Uh, third one is Starting a New Church, and it gets into the real details of how to build a plan. Yeah. And the fourth one is entirely different. It's called uh, Defeating Anxiety, because I'm finding a lot of people in ministry are struggling with anxiety. Uh, they say it's the number one treated illness in the United States right now. I believe it. So it's all available on Amazon. I have a website called uh, ralphmorehawaii.com. And, and so you find all that there and a couple other things too. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. You. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, and I hope it's been a blessing to everyone who is uh, able to listen to us. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting discipleship.org, where you can also register for the next National Disciple Making Forum.